Thank you, guys. I don't know about you, but uh, there are so many things that we can be thankful for that the Lord has blessed us with. There's times that I feel overwhelmed. Anybody ever feel that way before? This afternoon uh, was supposed to be a study afternoon, and none of that happened. (laughs) None of my plan for study uh, happened this afternoon, but it was uh, a far better afternoon because of it. And uh, uh, from time to time, those of you who have preached or have attempted to do that thing called preaching, uh, the Lord will impress on my heart to preach it again to myself. And that's what happened this afternoon, and maybe what you heard this morning uh, may or may not have hit you in a certain way, but the truth that we saw in God's Word, that He has so much for us, a blessing for us, and when we begin to tell our story of what He's done in our life, it increases our faith and confidence in Him, amen? And uh, I couldn't help but reflect um, tonight on... A little bit of my story. We're going to get to the Ten Commandments, I think, maybe in in a minute. Um, But uh, as I begin to reflect on my story with the Lord, um, as we were singing tonight, a number of people flooded my mind. I began to think of the people who had impact on me that they may have had no idea what was happening at the time. This is Sunday night, and... uh, I don't know how you view Sunday night, but growing up, Sunday night was told to me that this is family night. And uh, whether Grace Point is your church home or you have another church home, um, you're here on Sunday night. So I'm like counting you as family, whether you like it or not. And I don't know if you have family gatherings on the holidays when people come. And, and whether you like that extended family or not, they're there and they're your family. And they're staying for a while, so you better get used to it. And so that's kind of the environment that I see tonight is we are a family here. And, and I began to think of the people who were a part of my spiritual family that whether they knew it or not, they have left an imprint on my heart and life forever. And I have a huge debt to them. Her name was Adele and she was at Olathe College Church. And every time I walked into that church as a kid, I made a beeline to find Adele because she was the gum lady. I still to this day don't even remember Adele's last name, but it wasn't unique to me. It was every child during a huge portion of her life. She supplied an ample resource of bubblicious. And I began to see the love of God through chewing gum in church, if that's even allowed. And it began a spiral of memories in my mind of people who have impacted me. It went on to see that there was... People there in Oskaloosa, Iowa, I remember Mike Platter began to help me see that loving God and serving God could be fun. And he was the most crazy guy I've ever met who I think was spiritual. And he would do dangerous things at church like dodgeball with basketballs. Now, I'm not advocating this, and if Pastor Ryan is hearing me somewhere, let's not try this, okay? Uh, but it was exciting to see someone who had adventure and loved God, and, and he loved me and helped me to see that loving God could have adventure in it. I remember Rick Pearson, and he, he began to help me see as he poured into my life that I had something to offer, and he forced me against my will to write small group per- curriculum for a retreat because he didn't have time to do it. 
but yet he poured over every lesson that I wrote as a seventh grader to make sure that it was a minimal amount of heresy that I was sending through the youth group. But he loved on me by giving me an opportunity of space to to use what he saw in gifts in my life when few others saw that. I still remember Elaine in Indianapolis, Indiana as a Sunday school teacher and she began to take us to places that were deeper in the Lord and Sometimes, as a high school student in Sunday school, you could give the idea to your teacher that you're interested in anything but the lesson or what's going deeper. I remember Elaine echoing the curriculum over and over again. Are you trying to find out where God is, or are you trying to seek God and then allow Him to lead your life? Are you wanting Him to get on board with what you're doing, or are you trying to follow what He is already doing? Elaine has left an imprint in my heart. As I went off to school and Dr. Thompson became my part of my church family and, and school became a, a portion of worship as a ministry student, the great plague that we faced was being overly critical about everything that we learn. And when we're learning about church and sermons and curriculum and leadership that we could sit back and analyze everything. And Dr. Thompson pulled me aside and he said, make sure you don't dry up and get crusty in this process. I'll never forget his investment in my heart. The reason I share all this tonight is not to force you to listen to my memories or to pull out my wallet and take you through my memory lane, but this is family night, and if we would take the time, every single one of us have somebody who's impacted us in our heart. Now, I recognize that there's some possibly here that you have not grown up in the church, you've not been around the church for a long period of time. Hang on, I have a thought for you as well. But those who have grown up in Grace Point, those who've been blessed by the Church of the Nazarene, those who've had people who've impacted you, I want to challenge you with the question the Lord put on my heart this afternoon that ruined all of my study time. And I got nothing done that I planned on getting done. And God began to ask me, Brady, who are the people you are impacting in that measure? Who are the kids that are finding home in your embrace when they walk into my house? Who are the people that are being challenged specifically by your imprint in their life? And somebody took time to make room in the family for me to be there. This is family night, and I don't know a better place to talk about it than now. Don't wait for somebody to tell you you have graduated and you have reached a point where now you get to do something for God. It is right here and now. Who is it in your circle of influence that you can impact and bringing them into the family? I share this because most of us, not all, but most of us call Grace Point home here tonight. And I am going to challenge you to join me and look for people. Next Sunday morning, that you could pour your life into. Some of you have so many experiences, so much in your story that you could tell that God is waiting for you and I to talk about our story to somebody else. Now hear me, I'm not just talking about nostalgia. I'm not just talking about creating this atmosphere where you just feel good about warm, fuzzy memories. Because there are people who, if we don't create room in the family, they will always feel like an outsider. If you're here tonight and you say, you know, I don't have that story. I didn't grow up in church. In fact, church still seems weird to me. You are welcome here. 
I think back to some people who made a difference in my father's life. He grew up in an alcoholic home, and they were as far from God as possible. But somebody made a stop at his house every single Sunday with a pickup truck, and in the back of the pickup truck was, truck was as many folding chairs as they could put in there. Not only was the seatbelt law not in, a for, in effect, uh, I'm sure there's some kind of laws that had to be in effect of how many lawn chairs you can have in the back of a pickup before it could become very dangerous. But they stopped by and they picked him up every week and took him to Sunday school. And, and somebody made room in their family life for him. When they would bring dad back to his house, often grandma and grandpa were still at the bowling alley doing all kinds of other things. And, and they would say, well, we can't drop you off here alone, so why don't you come to our house and have ice cream. And we'll kneel around the bed and we'll have family altar, whatever that meant at that time. We would pray together and they would include him in their family devotions. Somebody created space for my dad who impacted me. If you're here tonight and you say, you know, I don't have that story, you could start a legacy of another generation. I'm not quite sure why we went into all that other than I wanted to be obedient rather than be effective on time. So um, that's where we're at. In Acts chapter 4, it talks about a second renewal of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4 verse 31 They prayed, and the place was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. These people back in Acts chapter 2, they had the Holy Spirit poured into their life. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the renewal of the Holy Spirit was there in their life. And as you continue to read on in that chapter, you would see the effect of what happened when the Holy Spirit was moving. There was a community where no one in their family was in need. They gave to one another. They sold possessions to provide for one another. This is not an attitude of laziness. This is not some kind of uh, new society, a way to live where no one works and it's just a commune. This was an outpouring of the Spirit's love where they made room in their life for one another and they were going to share the blessings that God has given. As we dive into God's Word tonight, I give you permission to check out of the sermon at any point and listen if God is prompting you in this, I don't know what we call it, pre-sermon, Pastor Brady's rambling before we get to the teaching topic tonight. Allow God to challenge you to make room for someone else because next week there's another mass of people waiting to experience Adele, but she's not here. Waiting to experience Mike Platter, but he's not in this gathering. Waiting to experience Rick, who would give a place for someone to use their skills in ministry and then have to go back and triple the work to make sure that it was okay. Making sure that there's an opportunity for someone to see that in the midst of this process of testing all the things as we grow in adolescence in our walk with Jesus, that it's okay to try out the power of God in our life. Somebody needs to make an impact. I want you to join me with me in that. Father, as we turn to your word in Exodus 20, I pray that you'll take this mass of words that come out And you'll bring some form of your anointing that will not glorify anyone in this room, but will only bring glory to you. I pray that you'll stir our hearts to remember our story in which you have interacted with us. You have brought people across our path to experience you with skin on by their testimony. Challenge us, Lord, as we begin to 
make a concerted effort to live these Ten Commandments. Help us think about the people that can be impacted by our obedience by your words tonight. In your name I pray. Amen. I don't know if you've heard of the Darwin Awards. Anybody heard of this a silly thing called the Darwin Awards by a raise of hand? Okay, a couple of you internet junkies have come across this before. It's a website dedicated to honoring those who, by their words, improve the human species by accidentally removing themselves from it. It's a catalog of absolutely stupid things that some people do. This story comes from their archives of someone who had an honorable mention of the dumb things that they had done. Credited source to Dateline in San Francisco. A man wanting to rob a downtown bank, a Bank of America, walked into the branch and wrote this note on a deposit slip. This is, I-Z, a stick-up, S-T-I-K-U-P. Pull, put all of your money, M-U-N-Y, in this bag. While standing in line, waiting to give his note to the teller, he began to worry that someone may have seen him write the note and worried that they called the police. So he left the Bank of America and crossed the street to the bank across the street, Wells Fargo. After waiting in line for a few minutes, he handed the note to the teller. She read it and summarized from his spelling errors that he was not the brightest light in San Francisco. So she told him that she could not accept his stick-up note because it was written on Bank of America deposit slips. So he would either have to fill out a new note on a Wells Fargo deposit slip or go across the street to Bank of America and hand them their stick-up note. Looking dismayed, the man left. The Wells Fargo teller then called the police who arrested the man as he was waiting in line again at the Bank of America to hand him his note. You know, we look at some of the dumb things that criminals do. We look at some of the silly things that people get caught in. And and the fact is that we do dumb things as well, just as silly as that, when we break God's commands. And it begins to come out in our life in ways that may be humorous from a distance, but up close when we're living it, it's anything but funny. I want us to look at this eighth commandment. It's the commandment that tells us, you shall not steal. You may be wondering uh, why I've titled this message, Loving God with My Work. What does that have to do with stealing? As I did a little bit of research and looked into this, it's been told for a number of years now that one of the most common places or the highest activity of theft happens in the workplace. It's employees stealing from their employer. It's employers stealing from their employees. It's companies stealing from their clients, or their, their customers, or customers trying to steal from those they do business with. And the workplace is, is a breeding ground, it appears, for theft to take place. What would it be like if I would love God with my work in such a way that I would not allow this temptation to steal or to cheat someone out of something to come into my workplace and I could love God with my work? Needless to say, this is a relevant topic for us today because every single person in this room has been tempted to break the commandment, you shall not steal. This command is pretty simple. Do not steal. It's hard to interpret it any other way. 
Listen to how one author that I was reading, it impacted me. Listen to her words. They're not mine. Listen to hers. It says this, the human capacity to rationalize behavior allows people to ease their conscience by attempting to diminish the apparent seriousness of that act. Rationalizing eventually has people deluding themselves into believing that their actions are not wrong. And when it comes to stealing, people find many rationales to make their behaviors not only tolerable, but even acceptable or even preferable. This author goes on to list several ways in which these excuses we give from our stealing comes out of our mouth. I've summarized some of her words into a a top ten list of sorts of excuses we give for stealing. They're there in your outline, and, and I didn't put the blanks in because I just want you to catch them with me and focus on if you have seen these in your life or in the life of people around you. I, I was just chatting with a friend before we started, and they shared with me, I, I've heard these before. I've seen almost all of these before, and the fact is this should not be new to us. It should be very familiar in the world in which we live. And number 10, it's this excuse for stealing that comes out as something like this. Finders, keepers. Stealing isn't just actively taking something from someone else. According to the Bible, our failure to return lost objects to someone is also considered stealing. Exodus 23 verse 4 says, If you encounter an ox of your enemy or his donkey wandering, you shall return it to him repeatedly and you should do it promptly. It doesn't matter whether you feel that they are worthy of it or not. If it's theirs and you take it, it's stealing. Even not knowing who the owner is doesn't justify the act of taking whatever object it is you have found. For example, if we find a wallet that is laying around and we say, well, finders, keepers, Scripture would give us reason to believe that we should be above reproach and not just trying to take something that's not ours at any given excuse. Number nine, it's this thought that I didn't steal it, it's their stupid mistake. It's amazing how many people believe that simply having the right to take something because someone else has made an error in our favor. And this is a form of stealing, this is a form of being dishonest. It may be keeping the extra few dollars that's given back by a cashier cashier who's too tired to calculate our change correctly. It may not be paying for the drinks that the... A waitress forgot to put on your bill the Diet Coke or the iced tea, and sometimes they are doing it by accident. Other times they think maybe they'll get a bigger tip by not charging you what it is that you were supposed to be charged. We don't pay a bill from a service that we had because the accounting department forgot to send it out to us or something of the like. We begin to think that it's okay because they made an error. Number eight, it's only fair considering all the bad luck that I've had in the past. This is the idea to say it's okay for me to take something that's not mine because someone has taken something from me. Whether it's the same person or not, we begin to think, well, they owe it to me. And there's this idea of karma that I should get something good because something bad has happened to me. And so just because I've had bad luck in the past, it's okay for me to to fudge on this a little bit and, and take something that's not mine. Number seven, another excuse is, I deserve it because I don't have it. This is the Robin Hood mentality. I'm going to steal from the rich to give to the poor, but often we see ourselves as the poor. 
and we want to take from someone else to give to our own need. I don't have this and they have so much. This is the idea that I would never ever think of taking from the little guy, but the big massive company or that, that, that corporation who has so much and they're getting too rich anyway, and so they won't miss it. In fact, just taking this one item from them, they lose more in accounting mistakes in the last 30 minutes than what I could ever take and fill my pockets with. It may be from ideas of thinking that it's not that big of a deal, but this excuse, I deserve it because I don't have it, doesn't really hold up with God. And number six, it's not hurting anyone, so therefore it's not really stealing It's this idea where a lot of frivolous lawsuits, and I'm not trying to make anyone feel uh, unnecessary guilt for walking through a a, a real lawsuit that had reasons behind it, and there was good advice in that, but uh, in a world that is so litigious and full of frivolous lawsuits, they begin to think, well, I'm not hurting anyone, I'm not really suing that person, it's just this big insurance company that they've just got too much money anyway, and friends, it is stealing when we begin to think that I'm going to try to take advantage of a system and get something that's not really mine, and who is it hurting anyway? Number five, another excuse is, I was just borrowing it. Grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads can testify to hearing this through the halls of their house over and over again from siblings or from friends who've come on over and they've heard it over. I didn't take it from you. I was just borrowing it. We need to teach our kids at an early age, if it is not yours and you are taking it to call it your own, this is stealing. And the Lord said, you shall not steal. When we move beyond memorizing this command to living it, it changes some things in our life. Four, this excuse is exciting. Everyone else is doing it. This lame excuse is right up there with the previous one. It sounds so childish, but yet we underestimate the power of peer pressure in our life. I was thinking of a movie that I saw a number of years back where uh, out of a helicopter was dumped a briefcase that opened up and money just fell down in the city streets and the people around were running to gather up the money and I was thinking what would I do in that situation and I would love to think that I would say that's not mine, I don't want to take something that's not mine, but I'm not quite so sure how I'd respond when that mob mentality kicks in and everyone else around me is stuffing their pockets with $100 bills and so... Surely it's not that big of a deal because everyone else is doing it. But the problem is that honesty doesn't follow polls. It follows righteousness. And stealing is stealing. Third, I'll pay when I can. This idea is close to borrowing, but it's saying, you know, I have full intention, but if I don't pay and it's not mine to begin with and I take it, this is not honoring to God. The second, I work here, so I earn it. When I begin to look at the places that I give myself to, and I try to justify and say, well, I'm going to cheat my family, or I'm going to cheat my work, or I'm going to cheat my friends and out of something that is not mine because I've invested so much in them, surely I am due this one benefit. Or... The one, number one excuse, it's not that much. It's just a little thing. It's just a few cents. It's no big deal. Yes, God says it is a big deal because it's not about what we put in our pocket, but it's about what we put into our hearts. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 16, verse 10. 
Unless you are faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Our parents were right when they have said to us, honesty is the best policy. And let's look at this together, why honesty can have an effect of being the best policy for us. Why? Because God is watching me. Job 34, 21 through 22 says this, For God carefully watches the way people live. He sees everything that they do. No darkness is thick enough to hide the wicked from his eyes. You know, what we are really made of is evident when we see what's happening in our life when nobody else is watching except God. Here's another reason why honesty is the best policy. Because others are watching me. Not only because God is watching me, but because others are watching me. When I recognize that my children are watching me, or my nieces and nephews are watching me, or the generation following is watching me, it gives us reason to say this is not just about my actions, it's about how I'm impacting them as well. They are going to know if we are being honest and have integrity in this or not. Matthew five sixteen says, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You and I may be the only witness to our neighbor, to a friend, to a loved one about what it means to live the ten. Another reason that honesty is a good policy or the best policy because I reap what I sow. Galatians 6, don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires, will harvest the consequences, the consequences of decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. I love what the late E.V. Hill has to say. He said that payday may not be today, but payday is someday. You may not be facing this principle of what you reap you will sow today, but payday is coming someday. That works both ways. You may feel like you've not been blessed because of your honesty and nobody's recognizing how honest you're trying to be. It may not happen yet today, but payday is coming someday. What I reap, I will sow. Finally, because God rewards honesty. Luke sixteen ten through 12 again. Unless you are faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the treasures and riches in heaven? The bar for success is, is set so low in the world around us. If you are simply honest and hardworking, you are better than most Americans. And the Christian ought to be the most honest and hardworking person in the workforce. God rewards honesty. Right now, some of us might be thinking, you know what? When I saw the Eighth Commandment, remember it's that picture of the handcuffs, and I see that it says, thou shalt not steal, I had in my mind something far different than what you're talking about. It was this kind of sirens blazing, lights spinning, the cops coming kind of thievery. But when we begin to look at what God is talking about, it's any dishonest gain. God says it will rot you away and it will not allow you to live in the blessings I have for you. Though my 
heart is not just to expose the problem of the sin of stealing. It's to give a reason for hope when we begin to think, maybe some of this have, has come into my heart and life. And just like this morning, every single person has recognized the gap between where they are and where they need to be or want to be. And that gap can be filled with this insecurity in our life. Every single person in this room has broken the Eighth Commandment in the context in which we are talking where there was something that they gained that wasn't theirs, and, and they begin to continue to live in that or move in that. And so what is the hope for us? How can we live the ten in a healthy way? Here's a few steps to becoming an honest person or bringing honesty to another level in our life. One, it's an old-fashioned term or concept, but it's very relevant today. Make restitution. Luke 19, 8, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have overcharged people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. This is the words of Zacchaeus when he came to the Lord and he saw, I not only want to make restitution, in Scripture restitution was paying back double of what was taken. That way the, the victim, when they experienced loss, the person making restitution would experience the same kind of loss. Zacchaeus says, I want to have double restitution. I want to experience double or quadruple of what they lost. Though this idea may not be popular, it's one that brings freedom from this sin that enters into our life. Number two, a way to have honesty come back into our life is to make a commitment to make an honest living. I love what the Apostle Paul says about this in Ephesians 4.28. If you are a thief, stop stealing. Very profound. Very deep and hard to understand. Just stop Stealing, begin using your hands for honest work, and then give generously to others in need. I love the purpose for the command to stop stealing. It's not so you can get yourself out of jeopardy. It's not so you can just have peace with yourself. It's so you can give generously. Make an honest living so you can be generous. Three, quit robbing God. We not can only steal from those around us, but we can steal from what is God's. Malachi 3.8, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me, the Lord says. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, Father? You have cheated me of tithes and offerings that are due me. You've heard people say before that these are his tithes and our offering. This is not just a play on words or an accident. It's beginning to say, God, I want to give you what is yours, and I want you to have ownership of that in my life. Finally, a last step, or one of these thoughts anyway, last of these thoughts, is to quit robbing myself. Stealing doesn't just hurt God and doesn't just hurt others. It hurts you as well. On the other hand, honesty has its own rewards. Listen to Deuteronomy 25, verse 15. Yes, use honest weights and measures so that you will enjoy a long life in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. Honesty really is a best policy for us. And it's not just a command that we need to remember, you shall not steal. But when we live out this Ten Commandments, it has implications on all those who are following our example. I want to invite you as we close tonight to end a little bit differently. Would you just stand with me? Very good. 
is if you had a choice. If you disagree, you can stay seated. That's okay. But I want to invite you to stand with me. As we pray together, I want to invite you to pray with me and ask the Father to increase our commitment to living honest. To living in a way that we are more generous and more giving than what we even receive. And to take the Eighth Commandment not only seriously, but to take it as a pattern of how we live. Father, I thank you for the reminder that your Ten Commandments don't just give us a list of rules of do's and don'ts, but it gives us a map of how we can have the best life possible according to the one who created us. Father, I thank you for the fact that even though every person in this room has fallen short of your glory, and I believe the statistics and odds are extremely high that most likely every person in this room has broken the Eighth Commandment in one way or another. But you are gracious and you are generous and you are wanting us to grow in honesty. And so, Lord, I pray that you will instill in us a desire to honor you by keeping the Eighth Commandment. Father, I thank you for this body of believers that we are a part of. I thank you for the people who were ahead of us that created space at the table for us to have a place in the family. And Lord, here on family night at Grace Point, I pray that you would prick our hearts with the question, who comes to this campus longing to hear our voice, to touch our hand, to sit and hang out with us because of our investment in them? Lord, I pray that you'll remind us that we are perfect, perfect for the job you're calling us to, to investing ourselves in someone else. God, I ask that you'll give a divine appointment for every person in this room, no matter if they are eight years old or 88 years old. Thank you that you've called us to make a difference in someone else. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen and amen.